Welcome to episode 14 of North of the Shire, and I am your host, Don, and I'm here with an actual traveler of both time and space, Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I think we're all travelers of time and space, aren't we? I mean, uh, forcibly time, but space is negligible or negotiable, I guess. Yeah, we definitely are. Well, according to Led Zeppelin, we are anyways. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I see that you see you've used your quote already when you're supposed to save it for the very end. Well, I could there's a lot more where that came from. Oh, you know, right. so come like on, we can we can expand on that later All if right. we need to. And I got to ask you something. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of this um, podcast every episode because like we're new to this whole podcasting thing, right? Yeah. It's like do we actually need to say what our podcast is about? Like hey, this is a podcast about MESBG. Doesn't our intro do that for us? Or is our intro just random music? No, our our uh. intro is just the music. <laughs> But I, I figured that people know what we're talking about by now, but I don't know. Uh, we're, like we're I hear other Shire. podcasts. We're north of the Shire. Yeah. We're talking about Middle Earth strategy battle game as it relates to a game. And uh, you know, <laughs> there's some LOTR themes and lore in there, too. There you go. There's I your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll learn through uh, we'll learn through doing, right? This is, this is why we don't have uh, the massive followings. Everyone's just like, what are you guys talking about? Who are you? I wasn't there for episode one. What ha- you didn't even introduce yourself. Episodes two to fourteen. Who the hell are you? <laughs> so listen to well, episode one if you want to figure out who we are and what we do. There you go. And it's good to start at the beginning anyway. So you know he exactly. may as well. Um, saw a little bit of uh, news uh, on the internet about Magic the Gathering in oh. the, in the past week or so. That's right. And that. They have announced that they will be putting out some card sets on uh, both Warhammer 40k and The Lord of the Rings. Oh, are you going to get any? I don't know. Well, according to our um, show expert, Garrett, mm-hmm. on collectible card games, because he's right. like... He's our aficionado. Really, he, he's really into the collectible card games. Um, this is probably going to be very difficult to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they're doing kind of a special, like I, it's it's not just a set for the Magic the Gathering game mm-hmm. at large. It's kind of like a separate set called Secret Lair. Right. Um, and apparently they've done one before on The Walking Dead. And the problem with it is that it, it's really hard to get because collectors just buy it up, and probably it's a it's a limited run, I would think as well. Um, I see it as a flash in the pan. No offense. Yeah, and, and this yeah. is the type of thing that collectors jump on too, especially because there's a lot of Magic: The Gathering collectors that you know they have to have every card or every set or whatever. They're like Pokemon um, trainers; got to catch them all. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's the I kind can, of thing like I, I, I we've totally we've tell played. you have never seen Pokemon. Anyone who's seen Pokemon gets that reference. Oh no, Pokemon <laughs> is 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 uh, is out there for me. It's uh, I have no experience with it whatsoever. Oh, my God, man! <laughs> like your age is showing. Come on, step up to the plate. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say that I have no clue what a Pokemon is other than people standing around looking at their phones doing some Pokemon game. Oh, Pokemon Go, yeah. Not yeah. interested in that. Totally yeah. waste. Um, yeah, you derailed me. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that Magic the Gathering played it for years, Have yeah. still have quite a lot of cards. Um, but 
totally lost interest in the game because it's probably the, um, you know, when you hear the play to win yeah. phrase, it's 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 kind of was invented based off Magic the Gathering, really. Oh, yeah. Um, but I still really like Magic the Gathering, playing it in a, um, what do they call those tournaments where you just, you all get packs of cards and you open them and you play? Draft. Oh, draft, yeah. In a draft. So, like this kind of thing for Lord of the Rings, yeah, I, I'd definitely be interested in giving it a try, but, you know, not going to spend fortunes on it. I, I, if I'm going to spend money on Lord of the Rings. It's going to be on MESBG product, you know? To buy a new army, buy additions to my existing armies. Yeah, no, sorry, B. I'm not yeah, spending on cards that are just going to like collect dust, and I'm going to be like, well, uh, it's about as good as some cardboard right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like collectible card games, um, they come and go pretty fast. Like Magic has been the one of the big exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. But even then, their sets come and go, right? So, oh, I imagine, anyway. I imagine more cards... There are more cards in their legacy section than there are probably in print right now, like that are can be usable. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. 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 So, have you been doing anything hobby related, Lord of the Rings related, MESBG related in the last two weeks? Yes, not model related. I've been um, perusing or browsing the interwebs of the Facebook and mostly on the competitive chats, mm-hmm. um, looking at uh, what people are talking about and the. The humdiggery is all about the Rangers of Athelion and how busted they are and how mm-hmm. we can nerf them and how TOs should handle it in preparation for the... Um, well, because, you know, <clears throat> the, the UK is uh, on the cusp of sort of re- reopening things. I mean, they're much more along with their vaccine approach than we are because um, they actually have vaccine facilities in the UK. And I think one of their vaccines actually comes from the UK. Um, and so, Yeah, AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, that's right. Just and, approved in Canada. Yeah, that's right. Big, big, big. And I heard, I heard that uh, they're going to, Canada, order 20 million doses. So, woo-hoo. But anyways, back on track. Um, and so they've been talking about it actually at a significant amount, uh, almost to the point where it's like people who post uh, on the competitive forum say, not another Rangers of Athelion post, as in mm. we don't want to talk about it. But generally speaking, the two big themes there are Rangers of Athelion, and if you want to have a conversation about magic, nerf Galadriel Lady of Light. That's pretty much the two themes I've seen yeah. with, uh, uh, lately on the, on the forums. Yeah, and like I, I, I'm i a member of the competitive forum um, I've mentioned before. Don't mm-hmm. really know why. I, I try to read the, the, the posts on there. And they're, um, of course, they're all talking about competitive stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. know. It just just doesn't really turn my crank uh some of it is interesting but a lot of it a lot of it to me is uh is well it's kind of obvious stuff um but it's you know debating what you're going to do about a model or what you can do about an army list yeah you can you can make a lot of noise about it and offer your opinions and whatever Mm -hmm. um not sure that it's going to amount to a hill of beans in the end but um it's good to talk about though yeah all the same I, yeah, I don't. I don't suspect that anything will happen. Um, I think conversation theory crafting plays very little in a Games Workshop making any adjustments to army lists. It's all about standings at tournaments. If they're only seeing a certain type of army um, place high or win tournaments consistently, that's when they'll step in and say, "Okay, maybe we were a little off." Um, yeah, and, and honestly, yeah. one of the main reasons why that Rangers of Athelion list is going to do so well at a tournament is because there's not enough terrain on tables. 
Pretty much. And like 90% of the tables you see at tournaments, there's not enough terrain. Like half as much terrain as there should be. Yeah. I mean, people talk about uh, player investment in terms of their army. That's peanuts compared to TO investment in terrain. The amount of it terrain is. you'd have to pay for, build, put on a table, and not have it look like four cardboard boxes to block line of sight. It is an exorbitant amount of money. And new pl- uh, new TOs struggle for that barrier of entry. So what they do is they have, we call it the bowling ball planet, where like you're putting down maybe 10, 15% tops of terrain when you should be putting down 25%. Yeah. And you see huge firing lanes and people are just like, well, I'm gonna run across the dead fields and hope I get there before <laughs> he obliterates me. And yeah. it's like in a normal 25% table, that doesn't happen. No, and like you see that, it's so common when you see pictures of tournaments from all over the world that Mm -hmm. there's not enough terrain on the vast majority of tables. Um, They're just, and and like you said, it's it's a big investment to do terrain. And like in our home league, the OSBGL, like for the first few years, like honestly, we had a core of probably, let's say, 20 players that Mm -hmm. went to all of the tournaments. And thank goodness all those players were bringing their terrain to every tournament so by and large we used to see a lot of the same terrain for the first few years but it really helps out the tos uh to supply good tables Mm -hmm. i mean you know to your point um we run canadian shire and it's probably one of the tournaments where you'll see a lot of terrain on every table from a thematic perspective but we still borrow like three or four tables worth of stuff from other people. And on top of that, we are building a table's worth of terrain each a year. So like that's a significant investment we're putting into this. So like, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work. And it's one of the reasons why we've had to keep the numbers low for that mm-hmm. tournament is just because it's it's challenging because we're coming up with however many tables we have. That's how many separate, individual, unique missions we have. Uh, it's a different style of tournament. But anyway, yeah. we won't get into that in this episode. But, but we will later on. Uh, yeah. So what's that? At some episode, we will get into it. We I'd will love to get into it. Yeah, we, we definitely should. Don't even know if we're going to be running the tournament speaking, this year, honestly. Speaking of tournaments, totally agree with you. That's a totally separate discussion. But speaking of tournaments, I hear someone is running a different kind of event th- these days. <laughs> Would you want to uh, talk about that or elaborate on it? Yeah, so uh, I started running something on the OSBGL in the last couple of weeks. Well, I guess it started last week. Uh, it is what is it March 4th today mm-hmm. um, so we're in the we're in the midst of the the first week and the first quote unquote game uh, of the tournament so been thinking about this for a long time and just really having a hard time getting my head around how could we run a virtual tournament oh. in the OSBGL and I'm not talking about actually trying to roll dice actually trying to move miniatures no. um, like we're not talking about tabletop simulator here no. It's got to be way more basic. So when you're talking tournament and when you're talking game, you know, you really got to use your imagination here. Um, this is not not a typical tournament at all, per se. Right. Um, but basically the way that it worked, and I've been able to put it together thanks to a lot of people 
as usual, volunteering mm-hmm. to help out. Um, originally, I thought, let's try to do this for 32 people, single oh elimination. Yeah, and then when I got into it and started thinking about how we could run this on a Facebook group, because of course it's all got to be done with pictures and posts and polls and you know whatever, uh, it's way too much logistics to handle that kind of number. So quickly realized I'd have to roll it back, so rolled it back to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, figured that would be manageable and uh, got eight people to volunteer some eight sort of long timers uh, of, of the OSPGL and um, eight different armies for good for evil mm-hmm. and we're just going to do one game per week yeah right and and sort of the the both armies get posted along with um, what is it three pictures an army list and that's pretty much it and uh, you can include kind of like a description of your army or tactics or theme or whatever alongside your army list Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and that's and that's put up on a post each week for people to look at talk about you know and uh, and then on the last day on the saturday because saturday is game day um i will post a poll so which of these two armies are you going to vote for a or b right and so saturday will be the game quote unquote right and we'll we'll see how it goes we've got we've got the first one up now so by the time this comes out it will have been decided i guess Mm -hmm. because we usually publish on the sunday so it'll be decided on the saturday and it's um it's michael campbell and his moria army um, versus Steve Stokes and his Lothlorien. So uh, I, I have to say, one, I love the idea of this. Okay. So just one thing I've learned just from watching the first game. Uh-huh. If you're going to participate in this, you got to bring your, your smack talk britches. <laughs> and you got to be not afraid to throw down. Um, and two, MVP of the match, regardless of how this goes, Michael Campbell. My gosh, he touched my heartstrings when he threw down that competitive smack talk. It's like I was saying it myself. I was just like with diagrams the whole night. I'm oh, like, I know, I, I saw I, that. It's crazy. Spoiler alert: I'm voting Michael Campbell regardless. <laughs> <laughs> just on the basis of one, it's a really interesting memorial list that has incredible tactics involved with this like there's things you can do with this list there's so many tools it doesn't look like much but like you can kill a celeborn in like one turn with this list if he if steve stokes is not playing his game right um and quote unquote playing quick quote unquote playing like if like for me like when i look at this list and the mission because you forgot to mention we actually oh yeah yeah included the mission and and, uh and a picture of a table again thank you to all the people who volunteered and provided me pictures of tables with terrain on them that's right and we also when we talk about the army everyone who's doing this also posts a photo of their army not just like models sitting on a table on a display board you know with something thematic that goes along with their actual list um, and kudos to, to, to Mike and, um, uh, kudos to the, t- the two players that are up in the first game um, on the basis of like totally going in on this yeah no. they they both jumped in and with both feet and and i got like a little chat group with the eight people trying to mm-hmm. like 
uh, explain to them the concept and and what to provide and how to format it and all and all of that. And um, of course, one of the first questions was when I announced, okay, these this is the first game, these two guys, and they're like, well. Is, is like trash talk part of this? And I'm like, oh yeah, definitely. Trash talk is a required component, you know, mm-hmm. go for it. So they have both just like posted, like every every day I've been looking on there and, and both of them put up a post that's like several paragraphs long. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, they've they've kind of come to the end now and they, and today they were talking about how and why they they picked their army and it kind of started out like you know don told me i had to play this army so (laughs) we took it from there kind of thing um just like there was a bit of a challenge because i did want i wanted eight different armies and i wanted four good and four evil and some people had like several armies to pick from and some only had one or two to pick from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it was a little bit more difficult than i thought sort of assigning armies to people Exactly, and um, I thoroughly enjoy it. I haven't. I actually messaged you multiple times to be like, "Hey, can spectators like throw down with tactics and like predict and that sort of thing, and sort of yeah. maybe sway the popular opinion?" Um, and because I didn't want to say anything, and then find out from Don later on. Dude, you're not supposed to actually put your mouth in this. Just shut up. <laughs> no, actually, you know, it's quite the opposite. Like, in my mind, like, when you do something like this, this is very different, very outside the box. I've never seen anything like this really done before. Um, uh, not that it's particularly imaginative or anything, but um, my and the way I saw it was that all, all of the people watching would be making the comments. Mm. I was like, oh, I like this model, or I think this model and this model combo well, and, you know, do all this kind of stuff. Mm. And then this one here, like, these two guys are, like, both so excited about it, both, you know, really want to get involved, uh, and they've just been, like, going to town with the comments. So, you know, we may not see that in the in the next matchups mm-hmm. um but like for this time out of the gate it's been like holy smokes these guys are like really into it so for those who are listening to us when the next game gets launched throw your lot in with one of the sides pitch your tactics to sort of help your help your 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 chosen champion out yeah. and really sort of dive into this i think well i think one of the reasons why people were very hesitant or reticent to to, to comment outside of the two players because I don't think they realize what could they or couldn't they say. Um, and again, this is the sort of the, the guinea pig players, the first the yeah. first players, right? So I suspect there will be a lot more um, spectator engagement uh, in the next in the, in the subsequent games. And they're, we're only halfway through the week, right? There's still still a few more days to go. So it's Thursday, I mean, man. And they're still through the week. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. It's not Wednesday. We're, we're, we delayed a week. Still That's a couple right. of days to go. <laughs> That's right. So we'll 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 see we'll see what happens. And there's st- it's not like it's all been them. There still have been a lot of other comments from other people. Just, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, yeah. So I thought you know we'll see how this goes. Um, a lot of people have have messaged me uh, expressing interest in getting involved. So I said, well, you know, if it goes really well, maybe we'll do it again in a couple months. That's right. Um, you know, we've already got an event lined up to happen after this is over because this is going to take seven weeks. It's mm-hmm. a single elimination starting with eight, you know, down to four, down to two, and there you go. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, the big thing about it is with this being totally virtual, 
mm-hmm. is that you can vote for an army like based on whatever criteria you want. If you like conversions, vote for that. If you like painting, vote for that. If you like theme, vote for that. If you think one army has an advantage over another, pick based on that, you know, or based on the mission, pick based on that. You know, you can pick based on whatever you want. So even an army, like if someone took the fellowship, which nobody did, spoiler alert, um, like they could win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, don't think this is purely based on skill of player. This is based on everything. And yeah. it may end up being that the person who wins has the worst list and the worst tactics, but they have like the most beautiful models and they're just a wonderful person. Yeah, like Steve, competitive player. And it was like, Steve, like, buddy, I hate to tell you, but you got to play Lothlorien. And he's like, what? I don't want to play Lothlorien. <laughs> it's not anywhere near my most competitive list. But he was good about it. And uh, mm-hmm. he actually even painted a couple of models to get it ready. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's all in. So thank you, Steve, for, for playing Lothlorien for me. And, Th- thank and you for, uh, like for biting the bullet there and taking <laughs> yeah. one for the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, well, I guess that's enough about the Battle of Eight Armies. And do we want to uh, move on to our main topic? Let's do it. All right. All right. And we're going to talk today about... Legendary Legions. That's right. So we're talking about Legendary Legions, the current state of them, and sort of posing some interesting questions like, uh, are we, you know, are they good for the game? Are they eventually going to be too much? And will they replace the books in which they were written from, or the units that they draw from them? Yeah, there's... Now that Legendary Legions have become so um, numerous and such a big part of the game, um, it, it does a, it does raise a lot of questions about the future of the Legendary Legions and the army lists and stuff. And like, I wanted to talk about this because, again, Michael Campbell, thank you, Michael, mm-hmm. um, in in getting his army list ready for for what we just talked about previously, he posted a really interesting thing on, on our uh, local Facebook group, the OSBGL, and it was two different Moria armies, which were identical, almost mm-hmm. identical army lists. But... One could be a legendary legion, and one could be the core That's right. list, uh, and and that right there, it, it it kind of offers some kind of weird duality. Where is it actually supposed to work that way? Where you can actually choose if you want to have your army be a legendary legion, or it's going to use the rules for for the core army. Mm-hmm. And it really got me thinking about uh, legendary legions and, you know, are they good for the game? And what's the future of the game? What's the future of legendary legions? Mm -hmm. So to give some historical context, um, and this is not me thinking I'm going to be 100% right, so I'm sure others could point out my flaws. But to my knowledge in my 20-ish years of wargaming experience, I first stumbled upon the idea of a thematic legion or thematic army provided you take restrictions in War Machine. They had this sort of, and War Machine players can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, they had this sort of like T 
tiered restriction list where the more restricted your list was, the more bonuses you got from it. And that's sort of like the first sort of foray into this idea of we can do sub factions and sub armies and then 40k picked it up because uh, they were second to the sort of the table and they had these sort of supplement books that they brought out and they sort of and there was these little small like uh, battles on this world or whatever and they'd bring out these sub factions that came out from it and these sub factions had their own army uh, army special rules uh, and whatever bonuses uh, provided you took the specific sub faction requirements mm -hmm. right and all of a sudden that sort of became modus operandi for games workshop where every um, type of main game they run they've age of sigmars picked it up um, and uh, you know now MESBG with the new edition has picked this up um, you know and, and you see legendary legions as a phenomenal way of creating that very specific theme or a very specific moment in time that snapshot in time uh, of an event in the books or in the movies that people want to replay um, and you get certain bonuses for doing it right thus keeping you as competitive as possible yeah. But the question is, is this, are we going to go down a path where it's going to be too much? Is this replacing armies that already exist in the main uh, army books? What are your thoughts, Doug? Well, like, you know, is it too much? It's like, to me, it's like, does this, it does this now or is this eventually going to cause sort of bloat in the, in the army list sort of area of the game because like so far i believe we've had four books that have had legendary legions in them uh gondor at war row at war and rohan scouring of the shire and quest for the ring bearer mm -hmm. and so far out of those four books there's been 24 legendary legions there's 24 yeah. legendary legions. wow that that is a lot of legendary mm -hmm. legions and we're already at the point that we have actually seen one of the legendary legions actually get kind of a second edition. And right. it's the one we've talked about already, Rangers of Athelion. Mm -hmm. Well, they got a second edition to that list and it's because they put out a couple of new models. Yeah, um, that's right. So does, is, does every time they're gonna put out a couple of models, is it gonna need an, a, a rewrite of the, the legendary legions? If, if so, you know, it's fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but mm -hmm. I'm just making note of it. Um, that were like i like the idea of legendary legions like I, I think lord of the rings it really lends itself well there's there's certainly many many legendary legions that are completely legit in my mind for bringing a thematic army to mm -hmm. the table um but the question is where do you draw the line and how much is is too much because we've certainly seen some army lists some legendary legions that i don't think really need to be legendary legions and they're mm -hmm. only getting legendary legions because we're seeing a new book being put out um for example i will say like the shire um uh what was the legendary defenders of the shire and also the chief's ruffians like Quite honestly, um, neither of those lists need to be a legendary legion, really. Um, and I would think that in the future uh, edition of the game, like when we come out with a complete new edition of this game, like, will we see all of these legendary legions? And certainly in my mind, those two legendary legions could easily be swallowed up by their core faction. Well, it's 
what we saw in 40k so like when you the to me the golden age of like the golden moment of 40k is when all the books come out right and then every army has their book for the new edition but the problem is they start releasing supplements right mm-hmm. and it's the supplements which take like i don't know the number like maybe 25 30 factions in 40k problem is probably lower uh, and then they quadruple that number and so from a player's perspective you not only are going from like oh i have to remember 25 30 factions but I also have to remember like 75 other army list types that could be at a tournament, right? Mm-hmm. So the variables and the combinations that you have to know about are immense. Now we jump over to, to MESPG, and I don't know, how, like, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Don. Um, what is it, like 20, 25 army lists? That in the main rule books, the main army books? It's uh, more than that. It's more yeah, than that. Anyways, it, like, whatever. You, you get the idea. Now, with the 24 extra or 23 extra legendary legions, you've almost doubled that number, right? And some of these legions actually replace the armies that are in the books themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you do not see a Rohan list ever, almost ever, on a tabletop. The well, Rohan, not anymore, no, no. No. Between Riders of Theoden or Riders of Aomer, those two lists pretty much replace Rohan. If you want to play Foot Rohan, guess what? Defenders of Helm Deep, Helm's Deep is where you go for that. Or you go Theoden's Guard. There's no reason to ever take a Rohan list anymore. Well, let me let me sort of preface your, your comment or your statement because I do agree with you. But it's, it's from the point of view is like if you're looking to put out a competitive list for the mm-hmm. reason of being competitive rather than, you know, yeah. you want to take a thematic list. Um, certainly, if you're, if you're wanting to put out a competitive list, there is really no reason to take any like core list riders of Rohan or mm-hmm. Rohan army because yeah like um the riders of theoden uh is by far more competitive and and it's it's kind of weird because like in the description of legendary legions they actually say in there that they don't get the army rule like the core faction army rule but it's kind of replaced by other rules you know which are thematic to the battle or whatever where that legendary legion took place however um, the riders of Theoden, well, guess what? They do get the faction mm-hmm. army rule, and they just get like an incredible, um, like legendary legion special rule, the one called Death. And mm-hmm. it's once per game, Theoden has to be alive, but all the heroes within 12 inches of him can call a free heroic combat or a strike, but it's really mm-hmm. the heroic combat. Um, so, you know, if you're a competitive player, I mean, like the army, the the army type we talked about last time, which was mm-hmm. linebreaker, like that's just all kinds of free points of might for like the most important heroic move that the army needs. It's mm-hmm. incredibly powerful, and they still get the the faction rule. So, you know, this is to me an example of well, I'm going to just say it, it's a bad legendary legion because it's actually kind of breaking the core faction. Like unless mm-hmm. you're a huge fan 
of some of the characters that aren't included in this list, like um, like Eowyn, I think, is not included. Or um, you get Durnhelm you know, in exchange, who's a yeah, huge upgrade, yeah, way better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like you know the King's Huntsman and like uh, you know other, other models. Like uh, you're I missing out on Urkenbrand. That's yeah. all you're really missing out on. And it's yeah. like, oh no, I don't get my plus two courage. Guess what? I just take Royal Guard, Bodyguard Theoden, and all of a sudden I'm fearless and courage is irrelevant. And I take Royal Guard anyways because I get fight five, strength four on the charge. So I, I, I'm at a loss as to why I wouldn't take this list. Uh, and, you know, just a, two more lists here that I'm thinking about. The, the Grey Company, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason to take a Rangers of the North list ever again. The Grey Company gives you all those allies you wanted to have before, but now they're quote-unquote green because they're all part of the same legion, uh, and you get all the benefits of the Rangers list. And then Yeah, and like if the, if the intention is that in the future of mm-hmm. the game, like looking towards the future, if, if what we see now as the Grey Company Legendary Legion, if the intention is that that is going to replace the Rangers of the North list, then fine, right? But like, is it? Yeah, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. And the other one that comes to my mind is the Return of the King, right? You get all the bonuses of the Dead of Dunharo, Plus, you get to put in Aragorn, Legolas, and Gamling, or Gimli, sorry. Uh, whereas you don't get that option um, in like the regular um, Dun- Dead of Dunharo. And I think you get some other bonuses that come with it. So it's like you would never take a real Dead of Dunharo list, you would just take the Return of the King. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that that leads me to like what another point that I was gonna make, and that is like again, like all of the questions in my mind, uh, like with this situation, they they don't they don't really impact the current game. Like mm-hmm. it, we're adding all of this content to the current game, so we're having to deal with that in, in the present. But the question for me was like, how is this all gonna be handled in the future? Um, just because you know we've already had say 23 legendary legions put out in the last four books so if we have another four books let's say in the current edition before the current edition ends mm-hmm. like we could be up to like almost 50 legendary legions you know yeah. if they if they keep going at this pace if that's possible mm-hmm. um, that that is a lot of content so like how many of them are going to be retained are they going to retain any of them or all of them or are some of these legendary legions actually going to change change their core factions in, in in the future like i'll give you an example of what i think is an incredibly thematic legendary legion it's a great example of an army that should be at least a legendary legion if not like a core faction and that's the black riders oh my god yeah fantastic idea for a legendary legion absolutely love it but really that legendary legion in the story is supposed to capture um the ring wraiths up until um the the uh, flight at the ford or the council of elrond like that part of the book slash movie like everything everything that happens up until that point um Basically, that is that is the army or faction you should be using if you're if you're playing ring race is the Black Riders. So the question is to me, like, 
if you're going to have the Black Riders as either A, a faction, or B, a legendary legion in the future that sort of has a permanent spot in the lineup of factions or whatever, mm -hmm. like what's going to happen to the faction that the unnamed ring wraiths are in right now? So Mor Mordor, mm -hmm. like do, do you still need those profiles in the Mordor faction like does this mean that you could potentially see the unnamed ring wraith profile pulled out of the Mordor faction mm -hmm. and just be in the black rider faction but maybe they're a green ally or a whatever color ally to Mordor mm -hmm. and then in in Mordor and Angmar and etc uh, etc et you have you have all your your named ring race but not the unnamed right you know, I, I, like I, like that's just an example of like an existing faction being affected by the development of a new legendary legion slash faction. I I actually see it being slightly different. I see them using legendary legions to incorporate new special rules and adjust models that they're not going to adjust in the existing army books, the Army of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, and see what sort of appetite people have for them. And then in the new edition, they incorporate that into the base army. Like, when I saw the Black Riders, I thought to myself, you know what, if the Screech and the Cumulative Negative One was on all Ringwraiths, that would really shift the wraiths, even the named ones, in a different direction to be less about combat and more about utility, 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 utility through spellcrafting, utility for cumulative negative modifiers um, for terror, which is, you know, synergizes amazingly with um, Black Numenorians. And the Screech giving them that very guaranteed, like, I'm gonna hammer you with a uh, with, a, with essentially a channel transfix uh, once per game on a six. And it really sort of allows players to play a Morialist, a Mortarist, kind of like old school, where it's like, I'm going to bring two or three ring wraiths. They're not the combat powerhouses they used to be, but they're going to give Mordor that that type of list that's very unique, or even that Angmar list, that type of list that's very unique, uh, and give evil that sort of leg up that they used to have but don't anymore. Um, and I see Legendary Legions, particularly this one, where it's sort of like they're using them as testing grounds, and then maybe the next edition they'll incorporate some of the stuff they like into the, the core books again. Yeah, and, and certainly, like, we did talk about that a little bit in the previous episode where, um, you know, the the, le the whole concept of the Legendary Legions, like, that whole setting has basically become a playground for the rules writers to float out, you know, new special rules, like, mm -hmm. new faction special rules. And, and some of them are going to be fantastic, and some of them, like, may not work as intended or you know or have or have loopholes or things they didn't see happening mm -hmm. um so you know i i think it's it's basically become kind of almost like a testing ground for for special rules for factions mm -hmm. and, and some of them you're certainly like you may see some legendary legions survive but they're for their special rule their special rules change yeah like i don't see them i don't see them changing the army books like I don't outside of the a rare FAQ, I don't see them changing what's been created. 
I see them using legendary legions to supplement by saying, hey look, if you want to use Rivendell and you want to do this type of second age list that everyone's clamoring for, um, you'll get these bonuses. The thing I worry about, uh, and this may like sort of breed new life into certain models that you just don't see. You know, take, take for example, Wolves of Isengard. You don't really see Sharku all that much, but guess what? Sharku is sort of prominent in the Wolves of Isengard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so if you want to play the Isengard list that has Sharku in it as a sort of focal point, you play that. Great example of another legendary legion because it's completely unique and like it mm -hmm. showcases an existing model. I love it. Exactly. Um, what I think from a, what I'm concerned the most about is when they bring out legendary legions that are stronger than the parent list they're based off of. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about already, the Riders of Theoden. Um, when that happens. Is no longer a choice, right? Like, for example, with that Wolves of Isengard, it's like, ooh, if I want to play Sharku, I'll do that, or I'll just go back and I'll play Isengard, right? If I want to play Isengard Horde, I'll just do the Assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Uh, if I want to do Goblin Horde, like Moria Goblin Horde, I would just play the Depths of Moria Legendary Legion versus playing the Moria list. But if I want to get all the tricks of Moria, I play the Moria list. The concern I have more is... When you're playing a legendary legion, you know, to your earlier point, that brings everything the parent list has, but also gives you upgrades. It's like, I think that defeats the purpose of the legendary legion. Yeah, and honestly, if you read the whole, if you read the whole um, description of what legendary legions are supposed to be, um, you know, it, it's not supposed to be that way. And yeah. and and quite frankly, I, I think that Riders of, of Theoden was just a whoops-a-daisy. It's like that that list has got to change. It is too good. Agreed. Um, I mean, the gambling nerf really set it back, sort of. Um, it just means that gambling's banner is... Yeah, it, you know... Strongly... You know, <laughs> Cheaply pointed, not obscenely cheaply pointed. As as Spinal Tap would have said, it, like it no longer goes to eleven. You know, it goes it now. It just goes to ten. Pretty you know, much. Yes. The gambling nerf did nothing to that list. The gambling nerf did actually. It did. It reduced the uh, might you see on that list. Like, and and I'm the first one to say this. Rohan has the most might on in the game, right? Because of gambling. And because their heroes are so cheap, and they're almost always three might heroes, they bring the most might in the game, like almost bar none. And then you have the Riders of Theoden, which gives you more free might. So when the gambling nerf happened, I was all for it. And when people are just like, it's too much, it's too far, you know you need the extra might, blah, blah, blah. My response to that was like, you have already 19 might, 20 might in most armies yeah. with the gambling yeah. nerf. Shut it. I've got nine might. Like, I figure out how to make ends meet with nine might. You can do it with double that number. Just just, just stop complaining. So I agree with you. The, the Riders of Theoden list is still, like, top, top uh, tier, uh, without yeah. a doubt. And, um, and, 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 like, the overall impact on, on what these different legendary legions are going to have uh, to existing factions or whatnot, like, I don't think you can paint it all with the same brush because, because they're all very different. And the, and the parent legions that they're, or the parent factions that they're potentially affecting, they're all very different, too. And I, mm -hmm. I think there will be some cases of legendary legions where you'll just see it completely disappear in a future edition. Right. You know, it, it, like, it didn't work or it, it doesn't 
doesn't have legs or or whatever didn't need any new models or you know we just get rid of it mm. um but on the other hand like you'll see some really strong ones maybe possibly get toned down a little bit you'll see some existing factions maybe incorporate the legendary legion into into their faction like and i'll use use one of the favorite lists that that i like like to pick on just because it's the worst one in the game and, yeah. and that's the the sharky's rogue one oh, like yeah. there's absolutely no reason to have that legendary legion none whatsoever right mm -hmm. you know I like the fact that they put out a legendary legion for it because they introduced three new hero models for the game, which was fantastic. Love mm. that um, for for an army list or a faction that has barely anything in the army. Like putting out three heroes for it, it, it was great. Um, but the thing is, there's no reason to keep the the initial. Uh, Sharky's rogue list that's in the core book. Just get rid of it. Just replace it with the Legendary Legion. Well, you know, you'll, you'll see that. And I think, you know, we talk about Legendary Legions and I think, you know, we say, you know, we poo-poo them in a little bit or sort of question them. Um, I, I think, like with, to my earlier point, I think they're going to look at this as a barometer for maybe the parent lists were deficient and they will replace this next edition yeah but games workshop is not the type uh, of company that will go back and fix a previous army book to make it top tier playable they'll just release something else which you have to buy because you know what they're a gaming company they got to make money totally understand they'll just release a book a new book that maybe includes other things that you could rely upon and my only concern with Legendary Legions is when it replaces the parent list entirely as objectively much better, that's a problem with the, the Legendary Legion and it needs to get toned down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and like you, you mentioned poo-pooing and like, like, I'm not poo-pooing anything here. Mm -hmm. It's just like we're just talking about something that's got like 23 entries in it. And look, it's, it's just a matter of numbers. They're not all going to be fantastic. They're not all going to be perfect. They're not all mm -hmm. going to be the way that the designers thought that they were going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, Some are going to have legs and, and continue on in further editions of the game, and some aren't right uh, yeah. some are going to be a little bit too strong some are going to be a little bit too weak like with that many releases for something that is this so custom as mm -hmm. as this game is oh, yeah. uh, some of it is just not going to work out the way they thought mm -hmm. you know it's an, it's not a criticism it's it's just a, it's just you know an analysis of something that that is going to have flaws and it is going to have things that are excellent in it mm -hmm. Uh, I think, to, you know, to your point, again, um, or sort of to say uh, something really positive about this, one of the reasons why I love Legendary Legions over sort of the, the similar vein that um, Games Workshop is sort of pushing with, with 40K and with Age of Sigmar is that they're like, oh, we just came up with the Defenders of Helm's Deep, which sort of incorporates uh, Haldir and the Elves at the, uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep. And I'm just like, this is so cool because I have such a vested interest in Lord of the Rings and and, and that moment, and it's just like, oh, I get to finally play that kind of list. And mm -hmm. you get kind of bonuses that are very reflective of that 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 moment. And uh, it's just such a cool opportunity to be able to say, um, for all the, the, the analysis we're doing about this, 
there's just those moments where I'm just like, I don't care. I just want to play this list. I just want to play Black Riders. I just want to play the Depths of Moria. Um, and it's just that that fanboy moment when you see the new Legendary Legions come out. And you're just like, fingers crossed, my army's in it, so I can start playing uh, something different. Uh, and Absolutely. it's just like, yeah, that 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 positive moment. And and I'll also mention another one, and it's the breaking of the fellowship. Like, what a fantastic list the breaking of the oh fellowship God, yes. is. Like, it's another way to play the fellowship, which was like, quite honestly, is it, it become a very stale list, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna not gonna win squat when you're playing with the fellowship, <laughs> but like this at 600 points, playing the breaking of the fellowship, you're playing the fellowship. You don't have Gandalf, uh, but all your characters have these new fun thematic cool toys that you can mm-hmm. you can play with right now and like i think that's really amazing for for a legendary legion my concern with the legendary legions is just that they're gonna put so many of them out that it's just going to confuse the bejesus out of the game mm-hmm. and like we saw this already happen in another game and that's Frostgrave. fantastic oh, yeah. game absolutely fantastic game that we all started playing with our lord of the rings miniatures right loved it to death and they killed the game by just putting out way too many supplements for the game like it it became so complicated so confusing so many different books so many different new things that like the core of the game just became so polluted that it was just like uh, just forget it Totally agree with you, but you have to understand it is a model company and, and you know, it is a, it, this is another source of revenue for them. And totally understand that. It's just, all I'm saying is that like this, you know, this idea is great, mm-hmm. but you know, let's keep it in check. Let's like, let's try to keep a bit of a tight rein on it. Let's manage it mm-hmm. um, and, and not get too carried away with it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I really don't want to be having to choose. Like at the end of the, the, the MESBG cycle, I really don't want to have to be choosing from what 80 army factions could I possibly see at this event. Yeah. Because like mm, it, the, the variables at play in terms of building a list go to like obscene levels when you have that much. Well, and you also, you know, you, you, you like talking about rock, paper, scissors and like, like that whole, that whole concept of rock, paper, scissors, like it doesn't exist in a game that is quote unquote balanced. Like you Mm -hmm. always see people talking about, oh, do you think this is game is balanced? Do you think Mm -hmm. this faction is balanced? Well, like, listen, like there is no balance. Like this game is not balanced. Not at all, right? And, and surprise, surprise, it's not supposed to be balanced, mm-hmm. right? This this game is like all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. With different factions, different races, different weapons, different this, different that. It's supposed to be like that. It's not supposed to be balanced, right? Agreed. But when, when you get into your rock, paper, scissors thing, and it's too frequent where you have hard counters the the game it like it removes the fun part of the game because this is like oh my army is playing against the army that beats me nine out of ten times this game is over before it already started right like and the more more factions more legendary legions the more that becomes a factor oh yeah the the more matchups that come out on the table the you know like like you look at rangers of athelion up to a certain points level, if your list doesn't have the tools to beat that army, you are going to be hard countered off the table. It's just, it's not even a debate. Um, 
or if you're playing like a black rider against a black riders list and it's a hero based mission Garrett, good luck you're lost already because they excel at killing heroes mm-hmm. um, and you're gonna have a real uphill battle so it's nice to have those challenging games but when you're like walking along and you step on that that pit mine and it just goes off on you it just it creates that moment where it's like I did my best I tried but it's like like a three-year-old kid trying to arm wrestle a teenager, not happening. Yeah. You know? Let me let me ask you a question. I think we're getting to the end of this conversation, but l- let me let me ask you a question. So, towards the end of this edition of MESBG, or at the beginning of the new edition of MESBG, one of these things is going to happen. Okay, and tell me which one you think is more likely. Do you think it's more likely we will see Games Workshop put out a new book, kind of like sort of uh, AKA the best of White Dwarf concept style, but it'll be like all of the legendary legions in a single book, which they could say put out at the end of this edition, or uh, and or like at the beginning of the new edition, do you think we'll have both a core army book like what we have now and also a second book, which is all legendary legions? Or do you think it'll be something different? I think you will have a reset of the cycle, which means, guess what? It's a new army book, a new rule book, uh, and this isn't, and this is from watching the other games, uh, 40k and from Age of Sigmar. You will have another rulebook come out. You will have another double set of Lord of the Rings and Hobbits come out. Mm-hmm. You will see models and possibly army rules in those books change, uh, and probably change as a result of the legendary legions. And maybe incorporate a couple of the legendary legions. No, don't think so. No? I think that they, you might see certain characters will trigger, you know, like if you take this character, these other models are um, upgrades or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. up, like dodge warband size, kind of like Elrond with the Rivendell Knights, that kind of thing. You might see more of that. And then you will just see them restart the supplement train. Right. And it seems like Middle Earth, if it's going down this path, it will continue going down this path. And I just don't see it changing uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that, honestly. I, I could see them, um, you know, maybe after a couple more supplements come out. Like we, we, we've talked before, we have no idea what how many more months or years the current edition has in it you know if it's like one more year or two more years or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but like i could see that after another couple of supplements there there are enough legendary legions that they could fill a book with legendary legions so they probably would Um, but when they when they start with like a new edition to the game like completely new edition completely new rules completely new army list mm-hmm. i think they'll start with one book like what they have now but i think you will see the the legendary legions impact the existing armies that we have i think you'll potentially see some additions to factions like a new faction appear um, mm-hmm. that wasn't there before 
by way of a legendary legion or yep. you'll see changes made to existing factions by way of legendary legions uh or like you said you'll see all these if then statements in army lists like if yep. like you know uh, if you're taking eorl the young then this happens to your mm -hmm. army list right you'll see a lot more of that uh impacted by things that were in legendary legions but like you said it'll just restart the cycle again and we'll see more supplements coming out mm -hmm. and then new legendary legions well see that's the problem with 40k and Age of Sigmar, their storyline moves on, right? Yeah. And so you have that opportunity to launch new sub-factions based on your revised storyline. Yeah, you just write a new part of the story and presto, you have right. a new but, <laughs> army. But the problem is, MESBG is a static story. It doesn't change unless you're stepping into things like Second Age or Fourth Age, which hasn't been written. Right, mm -hmm. And so as a result, we're going to launch the exact same Legendary Legions, but maybe with modified rules? You know what I mean? Then it's like, well, hold on a second. Why didn't I just keep my, my supplement book from last edition, which has the exact same supplement, the exact same Legendary Legions in it? Yeah. Why are you trying to feed me a new book with the exact same Legion? So it's like, because the storyline is static and not changing... These legions that do come out in the next edition, and we're talking, you know, far forward here in the future, um, I, I think it would be very disingenuous uh, from MES, from the, the the Games Workshop team to sort of try to sell us the same thing but repackaging it with a nice brand shiny new thing. It's but hey, guess what? It's still Riders of Theoden, and yeah. I'm like, okay, come on, that's that's really cash grabby at that point. Well, I think I think a lot of this. Um, quite frankly, it depends on on the Amazon TV series Agreed. Uh, and, and whether or not Games Workshop gets the license and hopefully they do and everything goes on, you know, tickety boo. Um, but, you know, that's not all that far off. Like yeah. like a year from now, we'll know, we'll know what's happening because, you know, this year, 2021, we will see the Amazon TV show mm -hmm. like it's it's part of the contract. It's already filmed. You know, it's happening this year. Mm -hmm. um, so towards the end of the year, we will see that TV show, some form, some something, mm -hmm. will be will be released. And as soon as that happens, they will start they will start talking about giving out rights to games and miniature manufacturers and blah blah blah. You know what? Now that I think about it, I think next edition. Now that we've talked about this a little bit more, I prediction time. I think next edition you will get four books come out. One is the rule book. One is the Armies of Lord of the Rings. One is Armies of the Hobbit. And the fourth book is Legendary Re Le Legendary Legions of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And I think they will launch this. And I don't think you will see a Second Age supplement this edition. And I'm sort of p pitching this, uh, this, this prediction out there. I think you're right. I think they're going to be gunning for those rights. And I think the next edition, you will see supplements which focus entirely on Second Age stuff. Yeah. Um, and more focused, um, like if they're going to throw a, a Legendary Legion in there from the, the, the Lord of the Rings Third Age and The Hobbit, it'll be more like this is a revision of a previous Legendary Legion that we've made adjustments to. Mm -hmm. um, I, actually, I'm seeing that now. I see that as to sort of I dodge the 
This is a, um, a Riders of Theoden 2.0 cash grab dealio and the edition mm-hmm. changeover. I see them just giving it to you as a just a new book that you mm-hmm. buy on day one. And the new supplements will focus on the Amazon Web Series and Second Edge. Yeah, I totally agree. I can see, I can see this edition lasting for say another two years approximately, mm-hmm. and then a, a new edition come out like towards the beginning of of the new TV show, uh, but have enough um, material for them to start issuing uh, new models and new armies. You know, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, like supplements will will follow the will follow the TV show, and I really, really do hope that Games Workshop gets the rights to the new the new uh, the new TV show, and that this whole thing is like for us gamers, it's it becomes more of like a seamless kind of a kind of a thing, because mm-hmm. if they don't, it'll really turn over the apple cart, so to speak. Yeah, I I think. For Games Workshop's perspective, nabbing the rights there opens up a monstrous revenue stream. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, I, and I, I can't. I I gotta think that they're by far the forerunners um, for that contract. I know it like comes down to dollars and cents in a large part, but like they really knocked it out of the park when they when they got when they got the rights the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, kudos to them. They absolutely killed it. Um, with with being the miniature supplier for Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and, and like you're buying the rights not from Amazon, you're buying them from Tokian's estate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Tokian already deals with Games Workshop, and they're like, "Yep, we know what you do, and we are pleased with it." So we can't see ourselves going with anybody else to sort of seal the deal. So I'd be I'd be extremely surprised if some other gaming company came out with the models for Second Age. So would I, but you never know these days. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's it for our discussion on Legendary Legions. I'm absolutely worn out. I'm just like so passionate about that topic. It, it's like I'm really curious to see what happens with it. I, I'm sometimes I want to shake my head at Legendary Legions, but other times I just love the theme. So overall, as long as the Legions become more of a choice and not the de facto go to. Uh, I'm all for Legendary Legions. Let's totally agree. But I know you're just like me. When you pick up the new book, the first thing you turn to is the Legendary Legions. It's pretty much why I buy the books and the new models. Because um, sometimes you go, you look at a new model and you're like, ooh, how do I beat this model? That's kind of goes through my head. Goes through my head. Uh, but yeah, let's do it. Next segment. <laughs> All that is gold does not glitter. And here today, we are just going to cover one question from one of our listeners. And Andrew, do you want to read the question from Mr. Ben Boomer? Uh, I'm sure I would love to as I clicked away from the screen. Thanks, Okay, let me read it. What there we go. type you. of terrain could Games Workshop come out with that would be an instant buy for you and Andrew? I haven't been interested enough to buy the Rohan, Shire, Lake Town, or Moria stuff. For me, Minas Tirith City related, not walls, New Osgiliath mm-hmm. and Arnor Ruins would have me in front of my computer ready to order as soon as it was available. So that that's his question. Mm, okay, okay. It's a good question. And I, I think question. I think terrain has become like a very topical um, thing right now with wargaming. 
Um, mm-hmm. Just with the, in the last couple of years, like the 3D printing has just like exploded all over this. Uh, and I don't know. That's what she said. Ha, yeah. Has, has it really, <laughs> has it really spoiled the market for a company like Games Workshop? Has it really like stolen the market, taken away the market for them? I'm not sure. You know, 3D printing is still, you need space. It's, it's still a select endeavor, right? Like, it's still a select endeavor because you don't have everybody, like, en masse owning a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. And that's because, yeah, the costs have gone down significantly. It used to be over $1,000 for a 3D printer. That was kind of garbage. Now it's actually much cheaper. Yeah. Much cheaper. Um but you need the space because these 3D printers, uh, for the most part, don't print uh, uns- uh, don't print safe fumes. You kind of so you need a bit of a ventilation and a space for that. So it kind of takes out the apartment market. Um, the cost is still there. It's not cheap. There is definitely a learning curve, as you have, uh, as I have learned through you and all of your trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending upon the type of terrain you get. Uh, the type of 3D printer you get, whether that's that that resin dip one or whether it's the spliced version one, the quality can range, right? So for a lot of people, buying one set of terrain for their chosen table, there's no point in buying a 3D printer. There's no point. Get the high quality stuff from Games Workshop because their stuff is is resin cast. It's really good. There's no mold lines. There's no splice lines. The, the quality that goes into it is quite substantial. Um, but for those that are like avid, like I want to build as much as I can, um, 3D printing is a huge outlet. And I think it is going to hurt Games Workshop uh, definitely in the long run. Uh, yeah, I think you make a lot of good points there. Um I think on the quality side, you know, if, if you're putting out a, a cast plastic model kit, your quality is, is going to be superior. Mm-hmm. Um, ju- just for your, your you know, average person off the street who's going to be buying a kit, uh, it, yep. it's much easier to buy a plastic kit and put it together and paint it in the traditional way than it is to try to buy a 3D printer and start printing stuff yourself. Um, and having gone through that process myself, um, I don't use my 3D printer anymore. No? No. And it's because like I bought the 3D printer to print our trophies for our tournaments and that's still a thing and it will still happen mm-hmm. in the future and I will use it for that. I have uh, printed terrain. I've printed a lot of terrain. I've printed so much terrain that I don't need any more terrain. Um, no. And, you know, I would love to see Games Workshop come out with more more terrain, uh, more plastic kits. Uh, but the choice is is the tricky part of that. Um, I think they're going to have to be a lot more creative with with their terrain. Like the mm-hmm. the Rohan houses, I see as a good example because you've seen so many people build those Rohan houses in different ways. You know, small, medium, and large, two or three or four kits put together. Um, yeah. Like I really think that they need to focus on that type of versatile kit going forward. Um, you know, 
something more complicated, but in, in the in the vein of um, like the Goblin Town sort of thing, where you know you you can put that stuff together in like a multitude of different ways if you yeah. want to just be creative. Like the the plastic kits they need to come out with, I think they have to be really flexible, sort of in that way going forward. I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at um, Weathertop, right? It's a signature piece. There's no flexibility to it. I cannot imagine it has sold a fraction of what a three-pack of Lake Townhouses would sell. Oh, definitely mm-hmm. not. Yeah, like there's another one too. It's like it's a great little kit for uh, if you want to buy a you know a bunch of those and you can populate your board with a village. Like away you go. Mm-hmm. And like we've also seen people build those houses in different ways as well. But like mm-hmm. I think the I don't know because I don't own the kit, but I think the Rohan houses when they designed it, it they put some some mind towards. Um, multi-purposing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. To answer Ben's question, um, now I, I sort of knocked around a couple ideas, but um, I threw them out immediately when you when you mentioned your comment on versatility. What I would love to see is a multi-part kit that's elvish, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be Rivendell, right? Because there's a multitude of elves in, in Lord of the Rings. And societies and cultures, but I'd love to see kind of like, like a like an incredibly customizable elven kit that allows you to like maybe build a house. You could also customize it to build ruins. You could uh, adjust it to make it a little more Lothlorien, mm-hmm. or you could adjust it to be very specifically Rivendell. Like you can play with the kit. And the reason why elves are such a great option is because they're ancient, so. Their ruins are everywhere. So you could have a Mordor display board rock um, one of these kits because it's Mordor has taken over the land, it's taken over the area, and you can have this really distressed-looking elven ruin of a, of a, of a time long lost. Um, and you could use the kit in so many different ways. And let me tell you, from a Canadian Shire perspective, I'd love to put a Rivendell table together, <laughs> and I'd love a kit to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And that kind of thing, too, is like I think one of the things that um, they, that they could focus on is anything that that identifies like their IP for for the movie uh, or the terrain. Like it's 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 very identifiable as, as a as a movie item or whatever mm-hmm. where the IP of it cannot be designed. It cannot be copied by, you mm-hmm. know, some other company or 3d designer or whatever um that's a possibility but you know for Mm. me it's a very simple thing if they were to come out with this i would immediately buy immediately buy it because i do no i'm hearing because and 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 i and i will i will jump in Mm. that i i actually just had something delivered to my house finally after quite a long wait and it came in the gigantic box from games workshop and i'm like oh my god look at the size of this box and it was like a few paints and one piece of terrain. It was in this gigantic box. And I opened it up and it's the Mines of Moria terrain like that came in the very first kit, the Mines of Moria. It's on mm-hmm. like the biggest sprue I have ever seen. <laughs> it is huge. Um, but yeah, so I did just buy that. But no, what mm-hmm. I would like them to come out with, it's a, it's a very generic thing, very generic wargaming piece of terrain. Again, it's like, you know, tons of people would buy it for every every different wargame out there, and that is a plastic river. 
Mm, right? Put yes. out a river for God's sakes. Like everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. Everybody uses it. It's mm-hmm. so oh, incredible. It's so incredibly versatile. Um, like, and there aren't any good ones on, on the market. It, it's so frustrating to try to get, to try to buy this or try mm-hmm. to make it. It's like you could, you know, doing this as a plastic kit, it, it's so easy and would appeal to such a huge range of gamers. Like, I, I just don't know why they're not doing it. I would, I would, I would take it a step further and I would say, you know, a plastic river that's multi-part with bends in it so you could shape the river as you want. Yeah, of course. And has, and it has two bridges that go along with yeah, it. Yeah, you could make a bridge, like a, like a section of it could incorporate a really cool bridge and you could have like right. a destroyed bridge or a mm-hmm. perfectly good bridge, you know, or whatever. Exactly. And it's just like, as you said, like all of our discussions are their comments and, and uh, suggestions are all about versatility. Because I, originally I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to see like a, a like a ruined dome of Osgiliath? I mean, it was, was it the dome of the moon or the stars, one of them? That's mm-hmm. an Osgiliath that's been destroyed. I would love that as a centerpiece for my Gondor table or my Osgiliath table. But the problem is... It's a centerpiece, and centerpieces do not sell if they can't be used for other reasons. Yeah, and like if I'm a player that plays another war game that is not one of Games Workshop's games, but they come out with a generic piece of terrain that just rocks, mm-hmm. it's like everybody will buy it. Yeah, yep. it doesn't, it doesn't yep. matter what game you're playing. You know, if you can use it for a World War II game, then you're going to buy it. Mm hmm. I mean, you look at um, that uh, tree set that they came out with for mostly for Fantasy Age of Sigmar. I own the tree set for my for, for my uh, MESBG stuff mm-hmm. for a display board. You know, because it's like you want to have like a Lothlorien or a foresty kind of vibe. Guess what? Buy one of those tree sets, and and there you go, done. Right on. Although, yeah. like ben, ben says, like I would like to see some Arnor ruin stuff too. That would be cool, but. You know, I, I would go for the river before I would go for that. True enough. All right. Well, that's it. Just one question today. And yes, we do need a few more questions. So please send us in a couple more questions. Uh, I think we have one or two more in the bank. Um, mm-hmm. But we can send our questions to Andrew. North of the Shire podcast one, the number one at gmail.com we will also be posting a new post on our uh, page North of the Shire podcast page on Facebook to uh, request questions so once we get it up there send out as many questions as you possibly can think of we do accept more than one question per person so knock it out there What have I got in my pocket? This String or nothing? You're cutting off my segment here, man. <laughs> Jeez, my segment intro. That that was Gollum's answer to the question, what have I got in my pocket? String or nothing? Fair enough. This is the intro where we ask ourselves a random question, just like that one. And the other person has to answer it on the spot. And last time, let me tell you, I was hoodwinked with a stupid quiz of like nefarious purposes and looked like a fool the whole time. Do I throw it back at him this time, or do I save it for later? 
the, you the did long well revenge. On it. What are you talking about? I think the you got seven revenge. out of ten or something. Yeah, I think I got seven or eight out of ten, something like that. Do you have a question? Because I got my question ready for you. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, I'll ask you my question. So, this is tournament related. Okay. Never been to a tournament. Yeah, get out of here. Uh, you've been to the most tournaments in all of, of all the OSBGLers. So, uh, my question to you is this: What event, or sorry, what incentive? Sorry, what would incentivize you to go all out at an event to win? That could be the prize, that could be the type of event, that could be the type of uh, awards they're giving it, as in like, like certain categories. But what would incentivize you to go all out at an event? Like take out all the stops, bring your A game in whatever uh, category that might be, whether that's painting, whether that's competitive, whatever. But you just go all out hyper competitive in whatever that category is. What would incentivize you to go for it? Tough question for me to answer. Good question, Andrew. For once, I'm going to pat you on the back for this question. Oh my God, you solid, said that four times. solid question. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, and honestly, <laughs> this question is hard for me to answer because, it, like, okay, the question is for me to to identify something that would incentivize me to actually want to try to win the tournament because mm -hmm. normally I don't care about winning a tournament. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. To me, I go to tournaments because I love going to tournaments. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's entirely the whole experience, the social part of it, the gaming part of it, the seeing friends, the shaking hands, the rolling dice, all of that. Like I don't care about the winning part. Mm -hmm. um, but is there something that would actually make me care about the winning part? Mm -hmm. And I don't know honestly what there would be. Um, I can tell you that the type of tournament that I would most enjoy playing is the tournament that we run, yeah. Canadian Shire, um, which is basically taking the tournament and turning it on its head. It's 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 completely different than the atypical tournament that we go to all of the time. Like I love the standard format tournament, love it, um, but. I would love to go to a tournament that is just upside down, like everything is back to front and, you know, everything counts and everything is different and it's not as competitive. You don't see all of that competitive stuff like that is the type of tournament that that I would really try to put my best foot forward mm -hmm. um, in. But like I look at the, the some of the top modelers and painters and stuff in, in, in our league and like I, mm -hmm. I don't have a chance against those guys. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that would really make me want to try mm -hmm. to do my best anyways. That's a that's a decent answer. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. All right. All right. Now throw your question. What about back at you? Me. I want to hear you your answer to your own question. Come on, just give me a two second answer. Oh man. Um, Anything just to beat your opponents, silly. That's what you want to do. Uh to be honest with you, the prize itself at the end of the day isn't isn't a big th like a thing that I care about. It's in the moment with the games playing to win that game if i win the tournament fantastic but sort of like the high of winning an event disappears very quickly for me mm -hmm. um like it's not something that i hold on to uh but for me i think like the game that i would sort of go all out for although i do go all out for most games would be a championship 
kind of tournament like they ran at Articon, where it's like the invitational, the best of the best go, I would mm. definitely pull out all the stops just to be able to say like, relative to all the people who play in our communities, I may have be the, the best in, in that particular year. I would definitely, mm. that would be like, that would be one of the things that I'd like. So, so it's I'm, basically the like the pinnacle of the competitive tournament is what you would look look for. Pardon me. Pretty much. That's not a that's not a tournament where I'd build an army list uh, a couple days before the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tournament where I would tailor my list to the event a year in advance and play that list to the exclusion of nothing else to all else and cool. learn that list inside and out. Um, yeah. All right. Good, good, good answer to your own question. Pretty much okay, what, what add- Kylie would do, like what Kylie did for Masters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, my question for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so context. Context. Oh, Always about context for me. This is never going to go well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go well. Okay, so, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you. Um, I was born in 1962. You were mm-hmm. born in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay, for me, when I went and saw Star Wars in 19, what was it, 76? 76? No, yeah. 76 or 77, one mm-hmm. of those two. Um, and by the way, I'm stealing this question kind of from the Jed Brophy interview on Nerd of the Rings. He talked about this, but okay, I okay. just loved this. Um, when I went and saw Star Wars mm-hmm. way back then, when I was just a wee spelpeen, um, we went and saw it, me and my buddy Bill, we went and saw it at the theater 12 times. 12 because times. 12 times. Because his sister worked at the cinema. Fair enough. Fair right? enough. So you got so free movies. We used to get in free. Went up there 12 times we saw Star Wars. Loved it. Blew, my, blew our minds, right? And it basically, uh, this could be said for, I think, a lot of people and f- for that movie, it, it changed the way that you saw movies, mm-hmm. like as, as an individual mm-hmm. um, and what they were capable of. Uh, it, it just like it had had the biggest impact on me as as a movie watcher. That, like I, I can't even explain it. Right. Um, now for you, you were a little bit older mm-hmm. when when Lord of the Rings came out. But I think like for people of your generation, what kind of impact did seeing the Fellowship of the Ring? have on you did it have like a massive impact on you uh, did it blow your mind like the special effects were like out of this world for for the time that is the question if you can find a question in all that that is the question i probably say when i first saw it um i was 18 so i hadn't even hadn't even gone to university yet or was on the cusp of going on university I'd say when I first saw it, it definitely sort of like blew me, blew my head back, because it's not a type of movie you would have seen in two thousand one. A movie that focused more on uh, story while being an action movie, you know, because when, because I mean, even today you see those action movies that are like full of CGI and the special effects, but the plots are garbage and the characters are, are razor are thin. Uh, but when you see the story, like driven movies, it's mostly just story and there's very little action, right? So you, it's yeah. either one or the other. 
But Lord of the Rings was able to sort of like weave both together just because, like the movie, because the book is so exceptionally good at it. And for Lord of the Rings in particular, uh, Peter Jackson really took his time with this. And, you know, from hearing about the behind the scenes after the fact, like he started the Shire like a year earlier so the crops would naturally grow on their own. Like all these crazy things. And he really made the effort to like make this feel like you are like enclosed, like like you are literally walking through the pages of the book. And when it comes to reading a book and seeing it appear on the screen, this was the book. And it definitely sort of set the tone for um, the fantasy, especially medieval fantasy books from this point onwards. And I don't think... I don't think any of them have really sort of hit that same vibe that Lord of the Rings has, 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 has hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I love that comment that you made, like it made you seem like you were walking through the pages of the book. Like that's very aptly put because when I saw that movie, it was just like, oh my God, I never ever would I have thought that they could have done it this this well mm-hmm. and, and like it captured it so incredibly well and obviously the fact that it was it was just such a big budget movie um and, and you know the, the the beautiful scenery in in new zealand and and all of that it was just incredible yeah oh totally agree but i was just curious because like uh at my age of like 14 or 15 years old seeing star wars like it, it changed what movies were to me for for the rest of my life like that moment that i saw that movie for the first time and i just was curious because like lord of the rings was a huge 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 movie but did it have the same kind of impact on the on the generation that that went and saw that movie yeah, I, I think it's more those that because we grew up on that, right? Like, like the Hobbit was part of public school. Like, you had to read a book and do a book report. The Hobbit was a book that you did. Uh, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings appeared in English classes in high school, so you grew up with it. So when you got to see it, yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, you, uh, you. It's that sort of that culmination of um, I grew up on this. I envisioned it a certain way. Did Peter Jackson sort of live up to the expectations of me envisioning how I would the book to be in real life? And, and to me, ten times out of ten, he hit he hit the nail on the head. Like he hit the mark. And yeah, I've got to say that for those of that time that built like that really were sort of steeped in Lord of the Rings, um, the books and the lore, uh, it was definitely like um, a, an appreciation kind of movie where it's like we did you right. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's been 20 years now, and I think we're still a long way away from them being able to remake that movie. That That's how good that movie was and how good it still stands up after 20 years. Like, I think you could easily go another 20 years before they would really even consider remaking that movie. I, I, think, the, I think the movie's a classic. Um, and I think... When he just, I think he just actually, he redid the movies um, to bring them all up to the same sort of effects. Like he took the hob- the effects that were made in the Hobbits movies mm-hmm. and then he threw that into Lord of the Rings. So you see like a dramatic increase in terms of quality. Um, and I think that's really all it really needed was just to be like, let's keep this relevant with the current technology and let's see how this looks in the long run. And I think because the story, the characters, the actors, everything, it, it holds up really well. 
Yeah, cool. Good answer. I, I like that answer. Yeah. Um, anyway, enough said on that. Um, shall we wrap up this episode? Because I, I think, think so. we are at the end. And amazingly, we actually recorded this all in one sitting, which is it a first? I don't know. Uh I think it's probably a second, but like the first time we recorded this in one sitting would probably have been episode two or episode three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> or those emergency episodes where we're like, we only have today. We have to be done. <laughs> but no, this was uh, this is a lot of fun. You know, it's nice to have the whole episode sort of come together all at once because there's a continuity to it. And honestly, probably the least prepared in terms of show notes that we've ever been. Oh my God, yes. So you put the main segment together. That's why I introed it. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. I put the main segment together. That's yes. Right. Thank you very much. And I read the show notes, I think, once, skimmed them <laughs> once, like two days before. And then I read them, or I should say, skimmed them again. And I was like, all right, let's wing it. That's, that's pretty much my mindset going into this one. <laughs> yeah, and I say show notes, and that's that's maybe making it sound a little bit more grandiose than it is. It was just like basically like a few sentences. Pretty much, yeah. Anyway. All right, well, is that it, sir, for episode 14? Shall we say our goodbyes? I don't know. Do you have a quote for us? Uh, I don't really have a quote, but I did. You mentioned uh, when I said you are a traveler of both time and space. Uh, that comes from Led Zeppelin, Kashmir. And, and here, here's the whole lyric. And many people thought that this actually, because a lot of their, well, not a lot, but some of their songs uh, refer to Lord of the Rings, Tolkien stuff in them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought that, that this song was also, but it actually wasn't. It's about something else, but it is kind of reminiscent of that. And it is, oh, let the sun beat down upon my face and stars fill my dream. I'm a traveler of both time and space to be where I have been, to sit with elders of the gentle race this world has seldom seen. They talk of days for which they sit and wait. All will be revealed. Mm, I like that. It's deep. It is. It is deep. Alrighty. Well, I think that right, wraps well, it up for us, doesn't it? It does. It does wrap it up. And we will be back with episode 15. And until then, thank you for joining us for another episode of North of the Shire. Mm -hmm.